Lupus LA would like to thank our generous sponsors for their support of the Your Story, Our Fight podcast. Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals is focused on managing complexity and improving lives. Emerge Business Solutions serves as a personal and professional CFO for clients across a wide spectrum of industries. They handle financial affairs with integrity and transparency. Gemini Beauty believes in beauty for a cause, and in their case, the cause is lupus. The team at Gemini is changing the skincare game for good. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Lupus LA podcast, Your Story, Our Fight. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors who keep us on the air and uh, to my guest today, one of my oldest and dearest friends, Kelly Martin, is joining us today. Uh, you all know Kelly from her Emmy-nominated performance uh, as Becca Thatcher on Life Goes On and, of course, Lucy Knight from ER. Um and she's executive produced the Hallmark Haley Dean series where she's an accomplished director. She's a Yale graduate. She's a podcast host. Um, and for our purposes today, she is an incredible lupus advocate. Um, the national spokesperson for the Autoimmune Association, a Lupus LA ambassador, one of our original ambassadors, and uh, a true warrior for those uh patients and families with lupus. And I am so excited to have you here, Kelly. You are actually the first person we've had on this podcast, and we've done over 40, um, who is not themselves a lupus patient. Um, so yeah. uh, we've had we've had a couple of, of, of um, caretakers and stuff who haven't been, but you're the only a, a guest who hasn't been, a, hasn't been a lupus patient. But I think you have an incredibly touching and meaningful lupus story. And that's, and that's why you're here today. So how yeah. are you? I'm so happy to be here, Adam. I, you know, it's, it's so the fight for um, understanding and public awareness and um, doctor awareness and all of that for lupus and autoimmune diseases. So, so close to my heart. And um, I'm, I am honored as always to be with you. Well, thank you very much. And and for those who don't know, Kelly lost uh, her 19-year-old sister, Heather, to lupus um, in 1999, just before we met, actually. I unfortunately never got to meet Heather. Um, but when I met you, I remember all the people who, who we know mutually, Scotty Grimes and mm -hmm. Melissa Joan Hart, and all of those people who kind of introduced us um, had so many incredible memories of Heather and it was such an integral part of your story, especially since it was so fresh, because I think we met around 2000, 2001. But um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, when you were growing up and your relationship with Heather and and and, and when when things started to to move into this lupus world. Um, so Heather was three years younger than me, and I've been an actress since I was seven. And we definitely were very close most of our lives together. Um, we, we were competitive. And then as we got older, I would say we became closer friends. Um, she was always shy and quiet, completely the opposite of me, who was gregarious and outgoing. Um, and, you know, I, my mom spent so much time with me on set until I was 17, 18 years old. So my sister definitely grew up um, with more like with my, my grandma and my dad kind of supervising her once my mom started going to set with me. 
So I kind of, I mentioned that because Heather became a little bit more of a loner and a little bit more introverted. So you didn't always know what was going on with her. And I think a lot of what we now realize were symptoms of lupus, we took Mm -hmm. as more personality traits of hers. Um, she She was very, you know, like I said, quiet. She would sleep in, you know, any chance she got, she would sleep in until like 11 or noon. She would lay around on the couch a lot. Um, watch a ton of TV. She was definitely kind of a low energy gal. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we did, we never really thought anything of it. And um, she always had, I mean, she did have a butterfly rash, but it wasn't, it wasn't pronounced and it wasn't so specific that you didn't think it was anything other than just her skin. Um, and then, I mean, she, she ultimately, it, she would hide her symptoms. So, I only realized that she uh, was swelling when I, mm-hmm. I pictures of her. I actually was taking a photography course at college at the time, and Heather was my subject. And I would take her portrait. So over a period of months, if you would lay the portraits next to each other, you would see her um, her face get a lot puffier. Um, Interesting. All of that, of course, is after she got sick. Well, we only right. realized this stuff afterwards. We never knew. So when you realize that stuff, how far back do you think? I mean, I guess like the sleeping late and the the TV and all that, that probably goes back a long time. But yeah. Um, but it's, and, but, and she never really said anything. She never said, well, I can't my, get out of bed or I can't. My right. joints ache or, you know, my, my muscles hurt. Um, her like some of her fingers would uh get really stiff so there were these every once in a while kind of things probably up to two years leading up to her being quite ill that she would tell my mom but they were never close together and they were never debilitating um so they were never something that really hit our radar and mm-hmm. um what ended up happening is on mother's day of of 98 she just couldn't get out of bed she couldn't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that began the kind of crash, her body crashing. So Mother's Day, couldn't get out of bed. And then by mid-July, she had passed. Um, wow. And I ended up like, I don't want to scare people who have lupus. I don't want to scare them and have them think, oh, this this is what happens when you get diagnosed with lupus or when you have lupus. This is not what happens. I mean, in fact, all the doctors that ended up seeing her and especially once they had diagnosed her, they said, this was like the worst case we've ever seen. But I think what happened is her she her body got so far down the road without any help whatsoever that it became basically just a chaotic, like chaotic situation. Um, and she was misdiagnosed by seven different doctors. Um, wow. GP. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I, I mean, when I first heard the story, I was like, that just seems, it's so different than so many of the lupus stories we hear I and mean, we people get really sick before they get diagnosed but usually once a diagnosis happens you can you can manage it you can manage it or at least bring people back to a better place um, <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about this diagnosis process because it's i you know once you realized that she was sick i know you you know i know the story i know you went to yeah. the best of the best well I actually think what ended up happening is because her body was in such crisis, she ended up going to the ER a couple of times. And those doctors just wanted to manage her pain. 
Um, mm-hmm. And they didn't necessarily, you know, you don't go to the ER and the doctor doesn't generally look for lupus. Like usually you go to the ER and you're like, oh, she's having extreme stomach pain. Give her this. Um, so it was mm-hmm. like her nausea was managed. All of that stuff was managed in the kind of like emergency situations. But it wasn't until we went to um, a doctor. This was probably this. This was, I think, the seventh doctor. A friend of mine said, go see my my internist. He's amazing. And he came in early. Um, and this was after she had already had a hospital stay, um, a like three day hospital stay. Uh, they looked, we brought all her blood work in. We brought everything in to this uh, internist. He looked at it. He talked to her. And within half an hour, he said, he's like, I think she has lupus. Um, everything, everything that she's presenting here tells me lupus and all her blood work says lupus. And we're like, okay, but why didn't anybody else find this? You know? So, and and her kidneys by this point were in really, really bad shape. And that I think was the most acute of uh, the organs that were involved and every, like all the organs became involved for my sister. Um, So she ended up being admitted to UCLA pretty soon after that. And like I said, her body was just in complete crisis mode. And um, Mm -hmm. it just, she spent probably a month and a half in ICU. It was, it was insane. It was insane. And at first they thought she had leukemia. You know, they went, we went through all Mm -hmm. the things. Um, And my mom and I remember being so happy that when they said, no, it's not leukemia. We were so relieved. And they said, it's Mm -hmm. leukemia. Like, okay, what's that? Right. That must right. be that must be way better than getting leukemia. We had no idea. Right. Right. Um and and it was an extreme case and it was fast um and it was I mean I kind of feel like it was like a car accident. You know, it happened like that. It wasn't any kind of chronic. It was not chronic. Um Right. No, it's I mean it sounds like a very it's 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 a very different story, but I think it's a very it highlights so much of what I think we've tried to change over the last 20 years, which is, you know, had that initial doctor said, you know, this blood works looks a little funny or this, you know, who knows what the outcome would be. And it's, that happens to people over seven months or seven years, you know, if, until you find that right, that right diagnosis. And so tell me, so obviously this is incredibly devastating to you. Where are you in, in your life when this happens? And, and and how has that really defined kind of your life from there? Well, I was uh, finishing up my junior year at Yale and um, I ended up and I was leaving Yale between my junior and senior year to do ER. So um, I was slated to start that in July. <laughs> so my sister died mm-hmm. a week before I started ER. They actually they pushed production for me. Um, for a week, they gave me a week, which was generous of them. I mean, obviously, right. like pushing Hollywood for you series, you know, is right. a big deal. But it's the kind of thing that like, you need to push like five years if you want like right. an actress to come in and actually have her stuff together. Um, so I started working a week afterwards, and then being in the hospital setting, I played a medical student. Um, so being in that hospital setting again, I got to be honest with you, Adam, it tripped me out. It tripped me out so much so that I think I, I really didn't allow myself to feel anything at all because Mm -hmm. I couldn't, if I had actually tried, like actually dealt with what had just happened in my life and the enormity of it, I wouldn't have been able to go to work. There's no way. So I basically just 
stuffed it away somewhere and did my job. And uh, it was, I mean, ER was a horrible experience for me, but I don't think that had mm-hmm. anything to do with ER or the cast or any anybody. It was just right. my state of mind coming into it. And then being in a hospital like every day and being a doctor who's dealing with sick people, like, pretend doctor who's dealing with sick people. And it was a show at the time that was incredibly difficult to shoot. I mean, that show oh. is oh from God. an actor's perspective, um, you know, watching you on it, watching Scott on it and just watching, I mean, the, the, the terminology you have to learn and the oh, lines yeah. you have to learn. And the, I mean, the work you have to do for that show was yeah. incredible. Yeah, it was. You know? And my brain was not ready for it at all. I mean, and also as medical students. So I would throw around terms like glomerulonephritis, like they were going out of style. And by the way, my sister had that, which was crazy. Mm. I had to say that in my first episode of ER and I'm like, Oh yeah, I know what that is. Um, <sighs> so anyway, it was, it was, yeah, it was crazy to have to step into that amazing opportunity. I mean, it's like once in a lifetime opportunity for an actor to go on to, you know, I think I was in season four. It was like ER was the most popular show in the world at that moment. Um, so I just tried to do my best and really leaned on my experience to kind of like take over and get me through it. But when I did leave that show, when they said Lucy was going to die, Obviously, I was devastated, but relieved right. because that yeah. was a really ER was a hideous experience for me. Um, mm. And I also and it turned out to she she left in the most iconic of ways. I mean, it's did. probably one of the most. Rem- I mean, at least at least there's that your exit was yes. uh, no television is, is remembered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I'm very grateful for that. Although I have to say, at the time, I was pretty upset that they were going to um, have her die after. And, and then show me dead at the end. Like they showed Lucy dead on like on the table. I yeah. did ask them to change that because of what my family had just been through and they wouldn't, <laughs> but that's fine. I mean, at the moment yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, how can you not change it for me? But I get it. It's fine. Um, mm-hmm. My parents never watched my final two episodes of ER and um, yeah, they should fine. not. They should not. So anyway, I mean, I think for me, I didn't get to really deal with anything until after I left ER and I ended up going back to school. I went back for my senior year at Yale. Um, I had to reapply (laughs) in order to get back in, Um, which I did. And I'm so grateful that I did uh, because that was an incredible year for me. It was uh, me just being by myself. reading the newspaper every morning, starting to practice yoga, going to school, um, just being Kelly. And that was a real year of healing. Um, but honestly, and as people who you know have dealt with family members who they lost from literally anything, it's, uh, it's such a process. Grief is such a process. And for me, the only way I felt like I could constructively deal with it or not get past it, but just live with it was to do something knowing that I was just on America's number one show on television, I decided, you know, I can speak out and at least make other people aware of the word lupus, the word scleroderma. Like these are words that young women especially need to know because when you are having these weird, you know, symptoms, like, and you don't have the language to use when you go in to see your doctor for that quick visit where you're like, something's wrong with me. And I don't know what it is. Um, I just saw my role as basically raising public awareness. So no family ended up like my family did, which is not being able to recognize symptoms. And then, 
once you finally do have some information and something to go on, not knowing what to do with that information. So that's what I wanted to, to do with, with, um, with my role. So let me do this. I want to, I, I want to take, I got to take a quick break. Okay. I'm going to take a quick break. And then I want to talk about that journey. I want to talk about all the work you've done um, for lupus and for autoimmune illness. Cause it's enormous. And, um, but let me take this quick break and okay. we'll be right back. Lupus LA's fellowship program is an essential part of ensuring the training of future rheumatologists. The nation is experiencing a serious shortage of pediatric rheumatologists. Today, there are approximately 300,000 children diagnosed with rheumatic conditions in the United States, but only about 250 practicing pediatric rheumatologists to meet this tremendous need. We are back on the Lupus LA podcast, Your Story, Our Fight, talking to actress, director, um, fellow podcast host, uh, Kelly Martin. And so this journey you took after Heather passed away, how long did it take you before you said, okay, I guess it was during that, that senior year of Yale. So a few, a couple of years after Heather passed for you to, and then what did you do? You said, okay, I want to speak out. So what was the process there? Um, so I actually, had a, one of my best friends had scleroderma in, um, she was my, my roommate in college. And, um, so as I started to learn more about lupus, um, going through it with my sister and then realizing that scleroderma is in that same family of disease and knowing I wanted to help people like Mara too. Um, I ended up talking to another friend of mine who also had scleroderma um, Linda Otto, and she introduced me to the Autoimmune Association um, and said, you know, when you're ready, uh, there's, you know, there, there's this organization that would love to have you. And I didn't want to just speak about lupus because, and really it was because of Mara, my, my brilliant, amazing friend. I mean, she's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. She was dealing with a, a debilitating disease and trying to go to Yale. Um, and yeah. it killed me to see what she had to go through. So I just knew that if I could speak for both of them and the idea that that all this information you learn about rheumatoid arthritis can inform lupus research and, and how they can all work together, I really that really appealed to me. So that's why I ended up working with the Autoimmune Association, Virginia Ladd, who was um, running it at the time, who I ended up spending a ton of time with. I would speak at the UN. I would lobby Congress. And actually, it's really funny, Adam, um, the, the bill that we were lobbying for um, right after I became their spokesperson was um, was co-sponsored by Joe Biden, Senator Joe Biden. There you go. Um, so my mom and I were lobbying on Capitol Hill and our first visit was Biden's office. Uh, um, and I remember this distinctly. Biden shook my hand and then he went straight over to my mom and he gave her a huge hug as he's famous. <laughs> for. <laughs> right. Of course. And he said, dear woman, I know what it's like to lose a child. And my mom just broke into a complete sob in his arms. Mm. Oh, and he wow. was wonderful. And really, I think, you know, um, he was sponsoring this bill, which was to establish an office of autoimmune research at the NIH, which I think just yep. happened. Yes, like, I, I think, think it, it did. It took, it took uh, 15 years or whatever <laughs> right? it is, right? Right. Uh, so uh, that I think is kind of amazing. And, you know, 
the need has been there for a long time, but it takes a minute to get these things through. Um, but that's where I started. That's where I started mm -hmm. to talk. And I went on The View and Good Morning America and like all that stuff because I was just coming off of ER. So a lot of people were willing to talk to me. Mm -hmm. um, and well, I think, and, and when we met, you know, when we started Lupus LA, that was sort of my um, two cents when I, you know, I was like, young kids starting out my Hollywood career. And I was like, well, we need to, you know, as a, as a kid who was diagnosed at 16 and who nobody, nobody ever knew what I was talking about when it came to lupus. And so my mission was, all right, if I'm going to help start this organization, I want to use Hollywood to get the word out. And so yeah. you were a huge part of our original group of ambassadors that are still ambassadors today for lupus <laughs> LA people like, you know, like Scotty, like Melissa, Melissa. Um, yeah. you know, um, and, and, and so many since Seal and um, Michael B. Jordan and Tony Braxton and, and these incredible, incredible people. But I, I wonder if you could tell, you know, we used to get, I used to get a lot of grief from some of the people around our organization. Like, why are we putting so much focus on celebrity? And my argument always was because that's how you teach or that's how you educate people to understand, just to hear the word. Yep. You know, no, none, of, no, none of these celebrities are going out and giving medical lessons or doctor advice, right. but they're drawing your attention. So what, you know, what, what do you think about that? Because I, I, there is always sort of that push and pull of like, who cares what this person oh, thinks? Or, no, honestly, I mean, I think this, this idea that there's someone that you've watched and respect or identified with. Um, it doesn't matter if it's on TV or film and it, and they're speaking about something like Michael B. Jordan, it's his mom, right? She's, she mm -hmm. has lupus. Yep. And exactly. I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's important just because these people get us, they get a platform, they get a soapbox, they have an opportunity to reach people, to reach ears. And again, like with, especially with something like, like autoimmune disease, which is so misunderstood and so mysterious it is about it's about having the words and that gives you the tools to ask the questions and then it's all backed up with um with doctors and research and all of that but but to have someone out there who's telling their story um you know for me i just never wanted anyone any family member to go through what my family's gone through you know because I live in LA, like we should have, we should have been able to get to a doctor fast enough to save my sister. Mm -hmm. We should have, mm -hmm. but we, but we didn't, you know, we weren't able to. So, uh, I think it's, I think it's incredibly important for celebrities to share their story, their heartfelt stories. Um, I mean, I think when I was young, I would like, when I was on life goes on, especially I would go to lots of different charity events, but now as a, you know, 47 year old, I put my time and energy into the ones that are meaningful to my, to my family and to me. Um, that's that, that makes the most sense to me. So, um, I mean, I think it's great, you know, but of course <laughs> it's what I do. Well, yeah. Well, but I, I mean, I, I remember distinctly, um, Lupus LA gave you an award, mm -hmm. maybe 2002, 2003, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And your speech had the room a pin could drop in that room and i remember melissa gave you the award and you you're, you talked about your sister and and i know in that room that resonated and it went beyond that because i know we got a lot of press that day but yeah. um 
but how do, how have you seen that come back to you? I mean, what stories have you heard that can sort of confirm, oh, wow, this is this worked, you know? Well, I mean, now that social media is in our lives, I get people every day messaging me on Twitter and Instagram to tell me that, you know, hearing, hearing my story made them think, oh, my mom's got these same symptoms or whatever. Like I hear that Mm -hmm. all the time that it just made them think. And I often tell people the other thing, the other thing that I think is so important is a chronic illness um, is so isolating. And so if you have someone, even if it's someone you don't know, but someone, you know, you grew up with watching on television saying to you, I see you, you are not alone. I've been through this and reach out, like reach out and be your own best advocate, reach out and find people who are going through exactly what you're going through. And that's what Lupus LA does so well too, is it connecting people so they're not isolated. And I don't want anyone suffering from an autoimmune disease to feel like they're alone. I love it when people reach out to me and say, this is, you know, my daughter just went through this and just got diagnosed and we're so scared. I always write back to them and say, mm-hmm. thank goodness you have a diagnosis. Now you can attack it. Now you can figure mm-hmm. out the course of action. Um, cause it's so scary. And I think, um, I don't want anybody to feel scared. Like we felt so scared. It's so scary. And I, and I, if yeah. I can alleviate any of that, like that makes me, makes me feel like what I went through with my family, with my sister wasn't in vain, you know, that there's maybe some kind of greater purpose. Yeah, no, I, you, you are the, the, the poster child for that. I mean, you've done you've done the work you put in the time and you really care about the people you meet and the people you talk to. I mean, your Twitter's now going to blow up, I'm sure. Cause <laughs> you know, we get lots of eyeballs and, and ears Good. on this show. So, um, and I also know that you have put your focus towards funding research. And so tell me a little bit about the work you're doing at Yale. Cause I know it's really important and, um, it's sort of the flip side of, of the public face, but, but yeah. tell me a little bit about that. Well, um, on the 20th anniversary of my sister's passing, um, I wanted to do something, my husband, Keith, and I wanted to do something that felt meaningful. And, um, we both went to Yale and our, you know, we love, we love our time there and feel like, um, the Yale school of medicine is a fantastic place. But I remember something that Virginia Ladd, who runs the autoimmune association, had always said to me is how important it is to get medical students or students um, as they're like before they've even begun their career to get them interested in autoimmune disease um, to kind of get them early so they get invested. And that kind of stuck with me. And we ended up talking to Yale and they said that they could help us set up basically um, a fund that supported a medical student or fellow for their lupus research. So they could basically like, they don't have to hold down a bunch of other jobs or, you know, they, this, this fund, the Heather Martin education fund that we set up, um, funds that student in their journey, um, investigating, um, at Yale while at Yale and investigating lupus while at Yale. So it's been like, it's become something amazing. I, I mean, we, we started with an initial like five-year commitment and we're extending that, Um, And we've gotten a lot of people like you to notice it and to be interested in it. And um, those funds, I think the thing I love so much about it is those funds are so focused. They go directly to the students studying lupus. Yeah. 
and that yeah, you're I love not throwing movie. it in just a big pool of yeah. research money right that, and that's important too but for me having been through this world a little bit I loved the simplicity of that and I just like and I know the two students that are benefiting mm-hmm. are benefiting from the Heather Martin Education Fund right now I could I could call them up and talk to them I mean there's going to be a paper released on um you know uh exactly what my sister went through that this is something they're studying the kidneys right now these two these two students are studying um the extent of injury caused by lupus on the kidneys and um there's a paper that's going to be published directly from their time and energy spent at the like while you know using the heather martin education funds so that's incredible yeah Yeah, that's Don't call them. They're busy. They're very busy. I am not. Um, but <laughs> I can't help them in any way, really, well, we, with words. Well, Lupus LA funds this. We fund a fellow every three years at Children's Hospital here to study pediatric lupus. And mm-hmm. and um, it's such an important piece of the puzzle because there are there's such a need for rheumatologists. And nice. the rheumatology world, you know, because of the way healthcare reimbursement costs work and the way lupus patients are treated, it's not the most lucrative career. So to, so you really have to, to get people early and focus invest them, in. invest in them. And then they, they, they go down that path right. and, and you have a new, you're going to have two new lupus doctors out in the world. And that's, you know, that's yeah, huge. Exactly. And so, and you know, Adam also itself, this, you know, my, now that I have two daughters, this is all very selfish of me too. Like, I know my genetics. I know what happened to my sister. I have two little girls. Like, I don't want them to ever have to go through this. So I'm going to do everything I can to, to help doctors and researchers and, you know, get the word out and all of that. Because, um, I mean, I'm sure I'm a lot more vigilant than I should be, but I'm very vigilant and I watch my kids very carefully. Um, I think you and I talked about, like, I've been extraordinarily careful during COVID because COVID just looks like a walking autoimmune disease to me. Um, mm-hmm. It's terrifying. So um, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, very cautious with my girls and, uh, you know, just about their diet and the sleep they get, like all of that, just because I, I know my genetics mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm being very careful. Yeah. No, I, I mean, as, and as a dad who uh, discovered his uh, you know, Lucy has an autoimmune condition that totally changed my diagnosis around. And, you know, I, remember, I, yes. I was the exact same way. So, yeah. I mean, it is, you're like watching them like a hawk and, and Lori, my wife was like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm telling you something, you know, and it's, it's, right. it's stressful, but it's, it's true because, you know, the earlier people get to the right doctor, the the better their chances are of having uh, a normal life or as close to normal as possible. And, Absolutely. and, um, and staying healthy, and I think I think the work you've done for twenty plus years is incredible. I I am so appreciative of that personally, and on behalf of our organization. Um, and I know Heather would be incredibly proud uh, of of what you've done um, Thanks, in the wake of her of her story. So. Um, thank you you so much for being here, being a part of this organization and just, and and all the organizations, you know, we all try to, I know, you know, it's, it's politics, but we all try to work together and, um, you know, and that's what it's all about. And I think lupus patients in general are so appreciative of that. I mean, that's what we hear. That's what we see. 
Um, And I think the world is looking really bright for lupus patients in the future. And there's so much more focus from the pharmaceutical companies, from, from people like you that have really, it's a completely different world now than it was 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, It is. When Heather was finally diagnosed, it's so different now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Tell me before we end, let's end on a high note. Tell me what's next for Kelly Martin. I know something cool is in the works. So tell us about it. Well, Okay, life goes on. Is um, we're st- we're kicking around this reboot. The script is in. It's sitting. It's sitting at NBC right now. It was sent last Ooh. week. So I should know. Pre- oh, gosh, I could know today if we're actually shooting this reboot. Um, so that is is percolating. And um, I have something in development at at Hallmark. That's a mystery, but hopefully we'll be shooting it this summer. Um, but I've actually just finished a book, a novel. (laughs) COVID does that, right? You're stuck inside. What else are you going to do? I wrote a super scary Gothic novel. Really? That that in the 1920s and it is creepy. Um, so that I I just finished, uh, right before Christmas and I'm not sure when it will come out, but, um, I'm very, I'm feeling very accomplished. I've never written a novel all by myself. So. Well, amazing, I, amazing, amazing, amazing. My goats, my goats and pigs and horses and that's all right. of that. I forgot me. about the farm. My little farm. Yeah. So that's, that's what's Excellent. happening with me. Excellent. Kelly, thank you so much. We're going to put the link up to the research fund so people can take okay. a look at that. Um, and thank you so much for joining us. And I know we're going to be seeing lots more of you in the future. Sounds good. Thank you, Adam. On behalf of the entire team at Lupus LA, we thank you for joining the Your Story, Our Fight podcast. Please tune in, spread the word, and come back for more inspiring lupus stories. I'm your host, Adam Selkowitz, wishing you good health, and to always remember, your story is our fight.